0: I come to you Let my heart be changed
1: Can I give you a very warm welcome to this online service at Brighton Road Baptist Church in Auction? My name is Tim Carter. I'm going to be leading the service. My colleague, Michael Hogg, will be sharing God's word with us later on. And we're going to be hearing from one of our church members, Kirsty, as she shares her story. As we worship, can I invite you to come to the God who knows us, to the God who created our being, to the God who knows our frailty, to the God who loves us and cherishes us beyond measure. Come, just as you are, and worship God this morning. We're going to use the hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, Lift Up Your Voice and let us sing. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer. But I'd like you to think for a bit about the people that you're praying with when you say, Our Father. When you say, Our Father, who do you think of? Are you praying this with and for your family, the church, your community? Think hard about it because... As the prayer unfolds, it has a lot to say about how we treat each other. It begins, of course, by focusing on God, not on ourselves. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Challenges my innate selfishness. It's not all about me and my little empire. It's about God and his kingdom. But then when you get to that bit about give us this day our daily bread, who are you praying with? for that? Are there people who will only get what they need today if you share what you have with them? Is God calling you to be part of the answer to their prayer as they pray the Lord's Prayer? And what about that bit about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? The people who are in the room with you as you pray or in your family or community or church as you pray as you've been forgiven by god are there people you need to ask his help to be able to forgive and lead us not into temptation is someone enticing you down the wrong path or are you leading someone else astray encouraging bad behavior in them And then these days, of course, the prayer deliver us from evil, praying for God's protection on ourselves and those who we love. It's a big prayer, and often we tend to say it by rote. But if we say it, and we mean it, it has profound implications for us and for those with whom we pray. So as I say the Lord's Prayer, I invite you to say it with me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And so as those who have been forgiven by God and as those who forgive each other, we continue in worship as we sing, O the mercy of God the glory of grace. I was reading a book over the summer called The Science of Sin by a guy called Jack Lewis. In it he talks about a childhood game he used to play with his best friend. Apparently they only had one pair of boxing gloves between them, so they would have one boxing glove each and take it in turns to to hit each other. Only boys, you might say, could possibly invent such a game. He says it was a, a game of trust. The idea was that you would only hit each other gently and trust that the other person would hit you back as gently as you'd hit them. But inevitably, somehow, you always felt that your opponent had hit you harder than you'd hit them. And so next time you would hit back a little bit harder yourself. No wonder, Lewis says, it always ended in tears. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. When someone hits you, Don't hit them back. And we struggle with this because it just feels as if Jesus is saying we should let other people bully us and get away with it. But perhaps we should stop seeing non-retaliation as a sign of weakness. If you hit me, my instinct and desire is to hit you back hard and it lies within my power to hurt you far more than you hurt me. I could smash your face in. But I choose not to do that. And if I make that choice, I'm choosing from a position of strength, not a weakness. Turning the other cheek means there's no destructive spiral of tit-for-tat. What's happened, what's gone wrong, stops with me. It ends here. That's my decision, my choice. And this forgiveness thing is not an optional extra for followers of Jesus. It's the Christian hallmark. If you have a piece of jewellery that's genuine and not a fake somewhere on that jewellery there will be a hallmark to show that it's made of real gold, real platinum or real silver. So in a world marked by anger, hatred and revenge the readiness to forgive marks us out as the genuine followers of Jesus. We are not driven by our own desire for revenge or anger We seek the grace to be in control of our response. And as people have been forgiven by God, we were called to forgive others in turn. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus follows up the Lord's Prayer with some pretty blunt words. If you forgive others for the wrongs they do to you, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Tough words. I've had someone walk out of church hearing those words because they couldn't accept that God was calling them to forgive someone who had done some pretty bad stuff to them. But we need to wrestle with what Jesus is saying here. And later, as if it wasn't hard enough, in the Gospel he tells another parable that really rams the point home. And Jan-
2: Today's reading is from Matthew 18 verses 21 to 35. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him.
1: I'm sure I'm not the only one to listen to that parable with a a sinking heart. We find forgiveness so difficult. And it seems unreasonable of God to require us to do that. And yet, remember Jesus on the cross praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as people crucified him. So God calls us to forgive. Sometimes what seems impossible, and yet he calls us as someone who has suffered torture, betrayal, bereavement, violence himself. He he knows the cost of forgiveness. And one of the reasons why I think he puts such an emphasis on that is that, that sin is so destructive. If someone wrongs me... What they've done to me has the capacity to fill me with hurt and anger and and hatred and a desire for revenge. And it becomes like a a destructive disease that's passed from one person to another. You infect me and I don't just get my own back on you, but I infect everybody else around me as well. It's because it spreads so easily that that we need a saviour. Someone who is different. Someone who breaks the cycle of of anger and hatred and hurt and pain and revenge and brings his forgiveness. And we look at Jesus and he is so unlike us. We We are naturally so unforgiving, we are naturally so sinful, we naturally need his grace so much. And yet, as we think about the way in which we need a saviour, let's remember that God in His grace has given us a saviour, because He knows what we're like. Let's reflect on our need of God's grace as we listen to the song, God of the Moon and Stars. Whoever you are, whatever's happened to you, however you feel, this is your God. Can I lead you in a prayer of confession? Lord, I come to you in my pain. I come to you in the anger I have against those who have wronged me, who have treated me so badly. I come to you in deep sorrow for the ways in which I have wounded and hurt those who are closest to me. I come to you in my helplessness, because at times I I don't understand why I say and do the things that I do. In the quietness, Lord, hold me. Heal me, forgive me, help me, save me, and for those who have wronged me Lord, heal them Forgive them, help them, and and where where I'm in a situation where um, I need to get out, Lord rescue me, open a door. Give me a way of escape, keep me safe, make me strong. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are determined not to forgive no matter what, and to end up being prisoners of the past. Pray for those who don't know how to forgive, because they've never been forgiven. Set them free. Pray for those who don't want to forgive. Lord, soften their hearts. God of forgiveness, bring release. Into the lives of those bound by hurt and pain and anger, we pray. And I want to pray for those who find it really difficult to accept who they are or to form relationships with others because they've only ever really known rejection. Lord, show them your acceptance, your healing your love, and give them the capacity to love and to live again. And I ask this in Jesus' name, because he's our Saviour. Amen.
3: Good morning, my name is Kirsty McCauley, and I just wanted to say a word of thanks to the members of Brighton Road Church who over the last year have been praying for me and my family. I joined Brighton Road Church around about 28 years ago and admittedly I haven't been going so much in recent times but my children have been through the Girls Brigade and the Boys Brigade and the Sunday School. And one of the things I've loved about Brighton Road is that every time I came back I was always made feel very welcome and it was like coming back into the fold of a family. In August of last year, I felt this calling to come back to church and I can't really explain why. I thought at the time, it might have been the fact that I'd lost my dad in June and despite him being 85 years of age and having Parkinson's, his death had hit me a little harder than I expected it to. In May, I was 50 years of age, and I had decided that I would have a medical, if it was possible. A letter came through from Blue Crest, and it was a good deal. I thought that everything would be fine, as I had no current health issues. On the 9th of August, I had the medical, and on the 11th of August, I attended Brighton Road Church, and had the usual warm welcome. On the 13th of August, though, life suddenly took a turn. I had a phone call from the medical to say that there was something seriously wrong with my bloods and I needed to see my GP urgently. I fortunately got an appointment for that afternoon and reading my results he said I needed a blood transfusion. We worked out some dates and realised that possibly in June, just after my father had died, I had had a massive bleed. So for two months I'd been walking around with seriously depleted iron Still no symptoms, apart from a little breathlessness when walking up hills. I went into East Surrey, had my blood transfusion, and due to the extent of the anemia, tests were to follow. On the 1st of September, it was revealed that I had a large four centimetre tumour in my upper colon. Although they couldn't confirm cancer on that day, the paperwork said malignant tumour and the urgent CT scan required. On the 17th of September, I had a phone call from East Surrey asking me to attend immediately for an afternoon appointment. I knew things must be bad because the Macmillan nurse was already waiting for me. The doctor came in and he asked if he knew why I was there. I thought she had my husband and daughter with me. He told me that I told him that I thought I probably was getting the confirmation of bowel cancer. And he said, I'm afraid it's much worse than that. He opened up his paperwork, and there was a drawing of the digestive system, and suddenly he was putting dots all over it. The cancer had spread to my small intestine, my liver, and both of my lungs, and surgery was not an option at this point, and I was referred for chemo at St Luke's in Guildford. The following few weeks, as you can imagine, were one of turmoil, but I can honestly say from the beginning I know that God was with me. The reason being, had I not had that blood test that week, I was actually meant to be going on a motorbike holiday across to Croatia, and the doctors informed me that had I gone on that holiday, I would have collapsed in the mountains and been seriously ill. I attended St Luke's in the October and started chemo, and unfortunately, I had a bit of a rough ride at the beginning. I had blood clots, uh, which required heparin injections, I had delays in chemo because my neutrophils weren't recovering. And eventually after deciding they had to reduce my chemo strength by 30%, I managed to get on a two weekly cycle. And all of this time, I actually felt really well. So I was blessed that I could carry on with life as normal as we possibly could. I had a CT scan after six rounds and the tumors were responding. In May, after 12 rounds of chemo, my treatment had to stop. This is common practice, because after 12 rounds, not just the cancer is attacked, but so is your healthy cells too, and I needed a natural break. And I was actually very proud of myself, because after three three weeks after chemo finished, I did a 5K walk for Race for Life, and I raised £2,000 for cancer research. The following eight weeks with no treatment was amazing. We got on with life as much as COVID allowed and cancer got pushed to the back of our minds. But unfortunately, the July CT scan was not good and it showed that the original tumors had regrown and more had come along. I have in excess of 13 or 14 tumors now in my lungs, liver and bowel. Yes, the family hit hard, we sank a bit and it was tough, it was almost like being re-diagnosed all over again, but I've managed to pick myself up and then all of this time I have changed my diet, I'm on multivitamins, doing what I can to beat this cancer. Well, keep it in control actually, it's not beatable. We went away for a few days and to be honest with you, I hadn't cried. But on entering Canterbury Cathedral, I had the biggest breakdown, but it felt brilliant. I felt God was wrapping his arms around me and it was the safest place to be. And I felt, yes, I'm ready to carry on this battle. So, I'm now on chemo again, and I've just had my second dose. And so far, it's going well. Each morning, I like to meditate and I listened on YouTube to things like God's healing words. But this week I hit the wrong button and I ended up listening to an American inspirational talk, which admittedly was a little broken at times due to the Moonpig adverts. But there was a line in that that said, While God puts breath in your body, your work is not done and he will use you to help others. It has been the words I needed to hear because I would like to take my journey, my ride with cancer, and I want to help people learn that you can get on with your life. Yes, it will never be the same. We will always be living in the three-month block, always overshadowed by scan anxiety, the next results. But you live for the moment. You enjoy and relish the past that you've had and you just learn to live with smaller expectations. So I just want to say thank you again to everybody in Brighton Road for the cards and messages of support and the prayers and please keep them up. Thank you.
4: Jesus was often answering questions. On one occasion, one of his disciples, Peter, came up to him with a question. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Now, some questions are theoretical or theological, but this one perhaps was personal. Remember that Peter had at least one brother that we know of. His name was Andrew, and he was another of the Lord's disciples. In fact, it was Andrew who had told Peter all about Jesus. You see, Andrew had been a follower of a prophet called John the Baptist. John preached a message of repentance and baptised people who wanted to demonstrate that repentance outwardly. On one occasion, John the Baptist had pointed Andrew to Jesus as the sacrificial Lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was the only one who could truly and effectively remove all of Andrew's sin. Andrew of course wanted to know more, so he followed Jesus and spent the rest of that day with him. Andrew came to realise for himself that Jesus was the promised saviour that God had sent into the world. Following this, The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Peter. And once he had found him, he told him the good news. We have found the Messiah. And more than this, he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. We now have Peter asking Jesus, How many times shall I forgive my brother whose sins against me? And we note that he kindly adds a suggestion. Up to seven times? Perhaps he is feeling generous. Not three strikes and you're out, but I'll give you seven chances. Jesus answers Peter's question in two ways. A quick answer followed by a story. His quick answer may have sounded a bit over the top. For Jesus replied, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What a ridiculously big number. I mean, how can you keep track of that number of times? Surely, you will have to keep forgiving and not keep any record of forgiveness. Who can live and forgive like that? Thankfully, Jesus' story sheds some light. It begins, as all good stories do, with a king. The king wants to settle accounts with his servants. Now has come the time of reckoning. One man who owed him ten. Thousand bags of gold was brought to him this was an astronomical amount one bag of gold was worth 20 years of a labourer's wages so 200 thousand years of wages an unpayable debt how on earth had that man wrapped up Such a debt. How foolish of that servant. Jesus states the obvious when he says that he was not able to pay. Too right. He then told of the consequences of such a debt complete loss of all that he was, all he had. And all he held dear, sold into servitude, he and his family, for generations to come. What a hopeless situation this man had found himself in. No wonder the man fell on his knees before the king. He begged the king, be patient with me and I will pay back everything what nonsense. He couldn't pay the debt. No amount of patience on the part of the king would ever give him enough time. You've got to admire his boldness, though, or perhaps his desperation as he realised his predicament. But still, he was deluded. He simply couldn't pay the debt. But then Jesus tells us that the king took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. You can imagine the shock as Jesus said this. What kind of a king would do this? Surely only a king who is kind. A king who is full of grace and mercy. A king who sets people free from their unpayable debts at cost to himself. A king who grants freedom to those who are not deserving. Those who will never be able to earn their way out of trouble. But the story doesn't end on this joyful note. Jesus has us follow that forgiven servant as he leaves the King's presence. Here is a man who surely is full of joy and generosity. After all, he has had his great debt cancelled and now lives freely. Surely his heart is also full of grace and mercy, just as his master's was. You know our actions and our words betray the state of our heart. For we see, when that forgiven servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred silver coins, a hundred days' wages, And shockingly, that first forgiven servant showed no grace, no mercy, no pity, for he wanted what was due to him. And he even resorted to violent pursuit of repayment. He grabbed his fellow servant and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me he demanded. In an echo of his own actions, his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, please be patient with me, I'll pay it all back. Now you would imagine that the first servant, the one who has been forgiven much, would relent and forgive the one with an insignificant debt in comparison. After all, by my reckoning, The first servant was forgiven over 700,000 times what the fellow-servant owed him. I mean, would you not cancel the debt of another if you were in his shoes? But we hear how that first servant refused to cancel the debt. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now the other servants have seen what the first servant did to his fellow servant and they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened and the master called the servant in. Oh dear, I wouldn't want to be in that first servant's shoes now, would you? And the king spoke these words. You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And that king, in his righteous anger, handed that first servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. But we know that he would never be able to pay it back. And Jesus finishes with these words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is interested in our hearts. As Jesus told this story to Peter, perhaps the cogs in Peter's head were whirring around. Peter recognised that he was a sinful man, yet his life had been turned upside down by the generosity, mercy and grace of Jesus. Jesus is the one who removes our sin our great unpayable debt of rebellion that we have racked up before God our King. Yet Peter had offered a limited offer of seven times of forgiveness for his brother. It is through Jesus that we each may find complete and free forgiveness, a paying off, a cancelling of our debt as Jesus takes it to the cross as the sacrificial Lamb of God. Those who have truly received the forgiveness of God the King for their unpayable debt of sin have no reason to withhold that forgiveness from others. Or perhaps, if they are withholding that forgiveness, or setting limits on their forgiveness, then they have never truly received that forgiveness of God for themselves. Today, I urge all who are hearing this message to receive that forgiveness of God into your hearts and release that forgiveness for others from your hearts.